This is the Near Me Therapy Podcast. Two longtime buddies who talk a lot. As informed physiotherapists and chiropractors, they'll give you real practical information on topics and ideas that you can apply to your day-to-day life. You'll get the ins and outs of being a health professional and what it's like being in the business and tips and tricks to help you stay healthy and active. And now your hosts, Armin Gallier and Shervin Renchbar. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Near Me Therapy Podcast. Today, we got a really exciting episode. We're going to be talking a little bit about plantar fasciitis. This is actually something that I've been seeing a lot lately, and I think it's important that we talk about it. A lot of people get this problem, and they kind of get confused in terms of how to treat it, how to go about it. One of the worst things, of course, that you can do is just kind of leave it. Uh, Often, it does tend to get worse, and it can lead to other problems. So it is important to come and get therapy for it. And to further add to that point, we're going to talk a little bit about the efficiency and the efficacy of actually being able to treat it properly through physiotherapy, through chiropractic treatments. We're going to review some articles with everybody and try to really break it down and make sure that you get the best value out of this episode in terms of how to manage and treat plantar fasciitis and actually what's been shown to be effective. Ultimately, what you're saying is that we really need to cut the fat because as the listeners probably are thinking right now, how do we cut the fat and make everything make sense in a very quick and effective way? So, Armin, I think I think one of the main things that most people should know is that this is actually a very common uh, complaint in the population, about a million doctor's visits in the U.S. annually, which is a lot. Uh, foot problems are actually quite prevalent, as you know. About 60 to 80% of people are having foot problems uh, pretty pretty regularly, and it's quite prevalent in the population. Uh, we know that we see runners have this issue a lot more. This is kinematics and biomechanics, and this running, uh, I think it's around 17, 18% of runners have been shown to have this issue. So it's quite prevalent. Certain people have plantar fasciitis, but actually, if we look at the literature, it's being really referred to more of an osis, uh, plantar fasciosis. Not, it's not really as much inflammatory as it is more of a repetitive strain thing. Um, so I think it's really important for us to cut the fat and let the people know, <laughs> ultimately, what do they do? How quickly do they do it? And how quickly will they really get better from it? Take it away, buddy. Excellent. So the first step is how do you diagnose it? So typically when somebody comes in and they're expressing that they have pain at the bottom of their feet, typically we tend to, or actually the patient often will say, I think I have plantar fasciitis. I think that's the most common thing. So in my practice, and I'd love to hear yours, Mm -hmm. there's commonly three things that that pain at the bottom of your heel can be. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that it can be is either plantar fasciitis Mm -hmm. Right. And typically with plantar fasciitis, the person will complain of having lots and lots of pain early in the morning when they're taking their first few steps. Usually it feels like glass is going through the bottom of their feet. It tends to get better as the day goes on. And then again, at the end of the night, when things are settling down, the pain comes back. The second thing that you can have is typically what's called a fat pad syndrome. And that's typically when the bottom of the heel, the fat pad that's actually surrounding the heel, that's what can get irritated, can get discomfort there. That one in general is kind of mechanical. 
Whenever you're taking a step, whenever you're moving, it typically hurts. It's sore. It's achy throughout the day. Uh, when you're putting pressure on it, it's sore. Sometimes when you're taking pressure off of it, it also gets sore. Um, so that one's a little bit more of a nagging type of injury. And then the last one that it could be is heel spurs. So that often occurs if someone biomechanically um, is not, you, you know, conforming to their regular environment. When they're taking a step, it's really banging on the ground. That force from the ground is really going through the heel. It's not being able to dissipate properly through either the uh, small little bones of the foot or, or either through their uh, calf muscles um, or just muscles of the lower extremity in general. And then as a result, a lot of that pressure goes into the bottom of the heel. Now the heel or bone in general does not like to be stressed. So when it's constantly getting that force to it and it can't dissipate that force, the bone will actually start to grow a little bit to try to counteract that force. And as a result, it grows a heel spur mm -hmm. and that can be painful. That can be achy as well. Commonly described as mechanical, hurts throughout the day, kind of regardless of what you do. And for that one, you can actually see it with an x-ray. Right. This is often why when you do go see your doctor, they will recommend an x-ray for the bottom of the foot to see if it's in fact it is that. Yeah, sounds good. So in your experience, the way you just described those, and let's go back to the plantar fasciosis or plantar fasciitis, where is the focal point of the pain relative to the heel? Where do you normally see it in clinic? So typically the the pain, if you think about it, it's kind of from, you know, the middle of the foot and then going closer to the heel. And it typically, if you are going from the middle closer to the heel, for those for those of you just obviously just listening, um, it's it's near the heel, but closer to that range, like closer to the middle portion, if you will. Yeah. yeah. And I find that in my practice and experience, and I think you and I talked about this, it's more central, I find, when you're talking about fat pad in the middle of a heel. And with plantar fasciosis, I find it's slightly more medial towards the inside of the foot. That's yeah. mechanically a lot more yeah. common, as you've noticed. Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction a lot of times clinically. And sorry, what, what I meant to say is middle of the foot. So if you go from the middle of the foot closer to the heel, that's kind of within that range where it's at. I mean, I hope you all just saw his hands and he was just gesturing to, to show all of you how wonderfully you know inclined he is with his hand gestures as he describes it. Uh, okay, so uh, who, who would normally be at, at more risk Typically, uh, body mass index, you know, if there is a little bit of a change in body mass or uh, index, that, that's something that normally people will feel a little bit, you know, if we're a little bit more heavier, we're more likely to feel that. Uh, any kind of weight-bearing activity. So if we do a lot of uh, repetitive, like walking, standing, things of that nature, right? Certain people are more uh, at risk for it. Runners, mechanically. So if you're running a lot or there's a lot of mechanical differences or any different surfaces, you're more likely to experience it. There is evidence for muscle function and size, certain muscles in the feet not really being as developed or being underdeveloped or not being as strong uh, are correlated. There's some, you know, weaker correlation for that as well. Uh, obviously, I think in my experience in clinic, it comes down to repetitive strain, which means foot biomechanics. Ultimately, if your foot is not moving the way it needs to move, whether it be your repetitive movements that you're doing or a combination of what your arch is and your, your foot and how you use your foot that leads to what this kind of pain might be. And ultimately, cut the fat. All it says is you have heel pain, most likely right of the heel or slightly on the inside of the heel. And frankly, it's worse when you don't move and it's better 
when you move. That's what I typically tell my patients, right? So what do we do about it? One of the things before we talk about what we do about it, too, to add to your point, yeah. each each of those points, I mean, we're, we're oversimplifying here. Like each of those points, you can talk about hours in terms of what's going on. You don't have hours. No. But in general, what we do find is that these things occur when there's a sudden change, whether it's in sudden change in your activity, whether there's a sudden change in your weight, whether there's a sudden change in your biomechanics. And going back to your um, points of the muscles as well, uh, one thing that is you know, it might be interesting to note, there's a muscle that we have, it's called your tibialis posterior. And the tendons of that muscle are, are, are one that actually connect to all the little bones in your foot. Yes. Right. So when that muscle goes out, or it stops working, or you stop activating it, well, or it stops functioning, the foot will actually start to drop and it'll flatten. And so that is typically one of the major muscles that can lead to things like plantar fasciitis and all these other different kinds of foot problems. And this is also why it's important to still get that assessment to really understand what the heck's going on. But as Sherman's saying, we're just trying to kind of trim the fat here and really get to the bottom of like what can work, what can cause it, so on and so forth. So I think what my co-host is saying is this topic is extremely complex. Now, the goal is to make it as simple as possible so that it makes sense to all of us. All we need to know, I think, is that there's a lot of factors involved. And when you feel the pain, how can we actually get it better? So let's focus on how we get it better and what we think the evidence shows, but also what we think ultimately works the best. Armin, take it away. What I find the most helpful is I, I usually focus on three things in practice. So the first thing that I focus on is I try to improve the mobility of the little bones in the feet. That's number one. Second thing I try to do is I try to loosen up and improve the function of the calves. So the better their muscles are able to handle the load, tolerate their walking stance, so on and so forth, the less pressure and force will go through the heel and it'll improve. As far as uh, how I do that, I do a lot of manual therapy. I, I do it through exercise therapy. And then the other thing that I also do and works really well, and there's a lot of evidence to support it, is shockwave therapy. So typically I find if we follow that guideline, you do get pretty good results. Mm -hmm. The earlier the person can come in, so the more quicker we can kind of um, capture that client in the early stage, you do get even better results. Mm -hmm. So for example, someone comes in and says, oh my God, I've, I've been having this pain for the last year. You know, it's going to take it a little bit longer because their biomechanics has significantly changed to alter it so that they don't feel that pain. But when somebody comes in the more the acute stage, we tend to get better results. Now, the one thing to kind of support what I'm saying is there was actually a study done. And so this study uh, took two groups of people, and one group got conventional physiotherapy, which was primarily in the form of manual therapy, ultrasound, and exercise therapy. Typically, exercises could include things like curling up a towel with your feet. That'll help improve the arches of your foot doing things like calf raises, rolling a uh, ball softly, gently underneath your foot a little bit, just to kind of improve some circulation, not to dig in it. And the common mistake is people dig into it and actually further aggravate the issue. Um, so doing that kind of stuff, doing the ultrasound, as I was mentioning, and some manual therapy to improve the bone mobility. The other group got manual therapy and shockwave therapy, um, in addition with some exercises. And so what the results actually showed that both groups, when you assess them three months later, they both had very similar results. So they, they all 
the groups, they all got better. So with physiotherapy, doing the exercises, doing some form of modality, they actually were able to improve in their pain, uh, tolerance, their ability to walk, so on and so forth. But what it showed is the group that got the shockwave therapy, they were able to improve a bit quicker. So within the first month, they had improved quicker than the group that had only got the conventional form of physiotherapy. So something worth noting, right? So regardless of what you're doing, as long as you're doing physiotherapy and participating with it, you will get results. However, you will be able to get quicker results or you might be able to get quicker results if you incorporate the shockwave therapy first. And shockwave is a topic on its own, but if we're thinking about extracorporeal shockwave therapy, there's also radio shockwave therapy and there's different different things that you can be looking at as long as we're you're talking about the same thing. Number two, I find in my practice, along with a manual therapy, along with maybe some stretching that we prescribe and some gentle rolling that we prescribe, shockwave therapy is the most effective. And the research supports that. So one of the systematic reviews of systematic reviews that I've reviewed uh, just recently, and it's uh, from 2021 in the in the Journal of Life, it's quite um, explicit in what seems to be the safest and have enough evidence that we can trust. One is extracorporeal radio uh, shockwave, extracorporeal shockwave therapy, and the other was PRP. Um, there's different costs and different benefits to each things. Obviously, there is benefit with exercise, but for the most part, the most effective and safest that are recommended by systematic kind of all-encompassing reviews are those. There's some value in insoles at certain times, some values of taping at certain times, some value in hands-on, and we always couple hands-on because I think that's really important, fundamental. If your foot isn't moving well, if you're not essentially wearing the right shoes, all these other factors, you know, panofasciosis can become aggravated. But I think the take-home message for me is shockwave therapy should be included for most people who can tolerate shockwave therapy. And and sometimes it, it may take a few sessions and you might have to stick with it. Yeah, totally. I, I fully agree with you there. And then the other thing maybe worth mentioning or just kind of reminding the audience is if you find you're not improving given, you know, within that three-month range then it might be something else, right? It might be that heel spur, might be all those things. And so it is worthwhile keeping those things in mind, having those discussions with your practitioner so that you're not over-treating something that's not going to get better with what you're doing. What's your cutoff? So at what point do you send back to the physician or in my case, and some you know chiropractors can refer for x-ray things of that nature, but at what point do we cut off and say, we need to have a fresh look at it? Yeah, kind of assess the rate of progress. So if I'm seeing, you know, like a really good steady rate of progress, then I stick with it. But if I'm finding that we've plateaued for, you know, two, three weeks and things are just not improving, I that's where I usually want to see some other stuff. And it doesn't necessarily mean like go back to your doctor or whatever, but it might mean like, hey, let's assess maybe a bigger issue here. Maybe you your hips are weak. Maybe you're having some sort of imbalance. Maybe you're putting way more pressure on one side without even knowing it. And so I think it just means you have to investigate a bit more and and really dig into it. Of course, you want to try to do a lot of those things early on anyways. But, you know, there's only so much time, right? And so I think that's when you want to shift the focus a little bit. To echo what you said, I always 
look at the biomechanics of the individual. And I think you and I both do this. And I look and see what they're doing. And even though we do our radio shockwave, we do our other things, and we do a lot of retraining with exercise, we need to ensure that the mechanics are better and improved. And so that's something that we, cl- we will clinically do. Typically, I evaluate about six to eight visits in. With shockwave, once I reach six treatments, I want to see that I have a tangible result. Most people, even with chronic you know, pain in the plantar fascia, typically respond favorably by visit six. And the research shows you got to kind of go between three to six and then reevaluate. That's the number that I look at just to get a tangible kind of feel. But like you said, we any any good practitioner should be evaluating and reevaluating you regularly to ensure that there's benefit. And then the one thing that I do recommend, especially if this changes for in different ways, if there is, you know, a fat pad impingement or there's a mechanical thing that you can't physically change, like a heel spur, then we have to talk about different options, like insoles, like things that can take away the pressure uh, of and, and just makes it easier for you. That makes sense. So let's cut the fat. Tell me in, I don't know, three sentences. I want. I don't know anything about plantar fasciitis. All I know is I'm a listener right now. My foot is hurting. You guys are talking way too much. Tell me, what do I need to do? Well, first of all, what you need to do is call up Dr. Ransbar because he loves feet. All right, he likes working with the fascia. How'd you know? Oh yes, just the, just the way you've been talking about it this whole time. Um, you still get the gloves on? Yeah. You want my story? Is I that think, what I you think want? We gotta hear your story. <laughs> Well, let's just say that my, my internship year, patient number, I don't even know, fifth or sixth patient of ever, you know, you know, under supervision, I was doing an assessment and I had to assess. And at that time, I was assessing a knee and in conversation with the patient, making eye contact, really trying to be present with the patient. I'm traveling down and just kind of really feeling everything down to the ankle, to the, at which the, you know, the patient said something along the lines of, yeah, you know, my ankle hurts too. So I'm like, oh, no problem. Let me just check the angle of the, you know, and then just make sure the ankle is moving. And as I'm grabbing the ankle, I felt like I pressed a button. <laughs> and by that, I mean my entire thumb went into this large <laughs> plantar wart. I looked, and I'm not kidding you, that button activated about another <laughs> 30 <laughs> small, like, I don't know, saucers attacking from Mars. So since that day, who where I wasn't really fully paying attention and I wasn't expecting to do a foot exam, I ensure if I'm even close to the thighs, <laughs> I'm putting gloves on. There you have it. <laughs> You're welcome, folks. I hope the graphic really... No, no, that helps. That helps. But yeah, so in conclusion, plantar fasciitis, it, physiotherapy can help. Chiropractic treatment can help. Your treatment should include some form of exercise therapy to help maintain what you're doing and improving the health of your muscles. It should improve. It should ma- include some sort of manual therapy where you're working on the little bones of the feet, making sure you're improving their mobility so they can help dissipate the force every time you're taking a step. And it should help improve the tissue kind of durability, its length, the its uh, the tension within it, primarily your calves and things like that. And then shockwave is a fantastic form of treatment. And by three months or so, you should definitely be seeing some results. And if you're not seeing that, that's when you really have to either look at some different approaches, do some further investigation, and see what's going on. I'm going to be bold here. 
if you're not getting shockwave as part of your treatment, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, you whoever, kinda, yeah. Whoever's treating you must do shockwave therapy. And if they're not, they should co-manage it with someone who has access to it. I think the evidence speaks for itself. And a lot of physicians and a lot of people, they refer for it to us, and we know that already. Um, PRP, plasma-enriched uh, kind of platelets, that's a different topic we don't want to get into too much. It's actually quite costly in where we are right now, but that could be also an alternative. That's a topic we'll touch on in a future episode. This is why you need to follow, like, and, you know, if you want to sponsor us, feel free, you know, I don't want to name names without, you know, giving them the exposure, but some watch companies would be appreciated. <laughs> um, but ultimately, I think that's where you need, that's my must. You must have that included, especially if you have chronic plantar fasciosis. And ultimately ask yourself, why is my foot hurting? Am I different? Am I doing something you know, repetitively, and am I fixing the problem? Because we can do stretches and exercises, we can do shockwave therapy, bring your pain down. But if you haven't changed the assaulting factor, you haven't changed your gait and your biomechanics, you haven't strengthened the right things, you haven't supported your foot, it isn't going to change much, and you're going to have recurrent issues as time goes. And I think that's where I'm going to drop the mic physically. Fantastic. Well, there you have it. Hopefully, you found that episode helpful, talking about feet, Dr. Ransbar's favorite thing. Make sure you wear your gloves. And understanding that with plantar fasciitis, there actually is a lot of things that you can do for it. So hopefully, you found that helpful. Thanks again for tuning in and uh, looking forward to the next episode. Till next time. You've been listening to the Near Me Therapy Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Near Me Therapy. Take care, and we'll see you next time on the Near Me Therapy Podcast.